0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: All right, everybody, before we get started with this episode of Benched with Bubba, if you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratifications of DFS, then you have to try out Weekly Fantasy Sports WFS on owner's box head on over to rotorballer.com backslash box and sign up today weekly fantasy sports is the best of daily and season long it keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games owner's box will also be paying out users who bring their friends on board watch the real money rewards pile up through their first ever three-tiered referral system add friends create groups and rank up to uh, up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level but that's not it Owner's box will be matching your first-time deposit of up to $500 for any depositors through January 4th. Just head on over to black backslash box and sign up today to claim your $500 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Now, to this episode of Benched with Bubba. Welcome back everybody to another episode of Bubba and the Batflip, episode sixty six. We've basically wrapped up our positional previews. Not going to really discuss last week. We're going to wait on the relievers. Given Liam Hendricks found a home, I think we already projected him to be pretty high up the rankings. That wasn't the one I was most worried about compared to others. So we'll see. But uh, first off, you can check me out on Twitter at bdintrick, and my co-host is always on this endeavor on Twitter at batflipcrazy. Toby, how we doing, man?
2: Uh, we're doing we're doing all right, Bubba. We're just um, plugging along. You know, for those of you who are joining the stream, it's been a little while since I shaved. So other than that, you know, just, uh, just keeping on having a, having about a draft. I'm trying to keep a draft going like at all times, you know, just to, to pique my interest. So um, that's happening right now. The, and we're going to be going head to head. We're going to be going to head to head soon in the battle of the pods.
1: So that's yep. exciting. I'm like, like uh Unlike the, the Rotosaurus guys, they have to team up. We we decided to to take our challenge each other on this event. Yeah. Yeah. I um take two spots up out of the fifteen. So you know they had to team up get it. they were worried to face this whole podcast league. Fun, but it's a listeners' mailbag, as we <laughs> talked about. And um it, we got over 20 questions. And we'll start off with um the first one from our buddy our buddy at breaking ben underscore t. He says, seeing as this would be a relief pitcher preview, and I haven't started my prep yet, how many teams would you guys say currently have an obvious closer? So if you're looking at the chart, Toby, who do you think has an obvious closer?
2: Ooh, man. Um, Obvious closers is a tough one. Well, we know one with Liam Hendricks with the White Sox. I think that is pretty uh, pretty clear. One of the resources and tools that I often use is – Greg Jewett has a great uh, closers um, uh, closers thing which I'm actually not seeing as as the as the pin tweet oh no it's just a different link than I'm used to um, well uh, it's not it's not right here in front of me um all right let's just uh, it's very it's it's not a ton of guys that have it why don't you handle this one first Bubba?
1: Yeah, when I look at it, I'm just scrolling through. I use Greg's deal. I also use roster resource as a, a relief pitcher guide. And it's really like six or seven teams. when you scroll through here. The Yankees with Chapman, that's going to be a locked-in deal unless Chapman gets hurt again. So he should be good to go. Um obviously the White Sox with Liam Hendricks, he should be the go-to guy there. Even though Bummer's very good, he's gonna be the guy for now. Uh the Angels training for Rossiel Iglesias, he should get the the lead role one would imagine. And then when you go to the National League, it's pretty uh, crazy. Like the Mets should be Edwin Diaz, uh, for now it should be the go-to guy there. And then, uh, Craig Kimbrell should have the job in Chicago for now. Uh, that's a guy that gets talked about quite a bit recently. He should be the go-to. And then other than that, you know, you could say Kenley Jansen, but there's a real reality that Gratterall or Triman or someone could sneak in there. Uh, you got Pomeranz for the Padres that's up for grabs. So it's really just like four or five teams right now that you could confidently say has a closer.
2: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, I think, and I think there's a couple of ways to approach it, like in your drafts. I mean, number one, you can go after the guys that seem like they're a sure thing, um, you know, which is always, uh, which is always something you can do, you know, put in that draft capital to make sure you get a closer that, uh, that you feel like is set in stone or at least has a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of cushion there. But I actually kind of, I kind of like it. I mean, I think that, you know, as somebody who doesn't invest a lot in closers up front, I think there's an opportunity depending on the type of league that you're in to take advantage of some of these um, situations where there isn't a clear guy. And it could be that you're spending two later round draft picks trying to get the two guys that you anticipate are going to be part of a committee or who have the best shot. Um, but, you know, and that's kind of generally how I approach it. Like one of the a few guys that I've been getting a lot of are, Hector Naris, for instance, I got my Phillies hat on. Um, and I like Hector Neris a lot. He was the closer towards the end of last season. He's, he seemed to straighten things out a little bit after a rocky early season. And, you know, and I, and I think there's some, uh, I also like to get guys that kind of have not necessarily clear backups, but cheaper backups. So like in a draft and hold, um, his name's Connor, I think Brogdon or something like that like uh, who pitched really well for them. So he's kind of a late round guy. Chris Martin is another example, like Chris Martin with the Braves. It looks like it's going to be a Will Smith, Chris Martin combo, but Will, uh, Chris Martin's going like 200 picks later. So I think it's actually an opportunity more so than a challenge. I mean, it is a challenge to get the saves, but I think it's also an opportunity, you know, to get some, some cheaper saves and, and not spend draft capital, but still have access to them. So...
1: No, it's definitely the, the truth. There's a lot of, like, since I named off five teams that are qualified to have a closer right now, the, like you said, that leaves a lot of draft capital for later. There's guys that really are worth looking into if you believe in their skills. Like I still like Hunter Harvey a lot for Baltimore. I, I could have said he was their go-to guy. I would imagine he's their go-to guy, but we saw once he got injured, they had like six guys to get saved. So who knows how they'll handle that. They could rotate with him and Tanner Scott, the lefty. I wouldn't be shocked. Um, but like, Tampa Bay's got Fairbanks, Nick Anderson, Diego Castillo. Wouldn't be shocked if they all got 10-plus saves. Really, I wouldn't. Um, that's just the way they roll that bullpen out. You got Jordan uh, Romano for Toronto. He should be the guy, but you've talked about Rafael Dolas before. Like, I'm not going to go through every team, but there's a lot of opportunities, like you're saying, of later-round targets that you can definitely uh, make some make some hay with in drafts. If you're doing draft champions, drafting and holds, uh, the best balls, all that good stuff, there's definite uh, late-round targets to be made. All right. Let's go with our next question from ICV at Elvar Var Nero or Neru. Uh, Can you please give a few players to target in the late rounds of a draft and hold? I noticed there isn't a lot of articles. Or probably, well, I, I pointed him in a direction. He's happy with where he's going with the uh, uh, best ball exclusive with Brian Seymour. He's enjoying that. But uh, who are some of your later round targets? I know you're in a ton of leagues. You have guys that listen to this podcast or in league with you. But uh, who are some of the guys you're looking at?
2: Yeah. Um, you know what I'm going to do? I, you know, a lot of times we talk about the guys that we really like, but I'm actually going to go to uh, my player shares and, uh, and share just a little bit. So some of the guys that I've talked about previously, I know like from a pitching perspective, um, Stephen Brault of the, of the Pirates, you know, he's, he's in the rotation. Um, he pitched really well towards the end of last season. There were some skill gains there. Um I think he's a really good option. I talked about Eric Lauer. One of the guys I don't think we've talked about because he's util yet is M- uh, Miggy. Uh, generally I'm not a huge fan of Miggy. Um, you know, I haven't I haven't had him in a number of different and a number of years because I don't think the price really fell to the point where it should. But now he's going around a pick uh, ADP of 400 and so it's not super late um, in in a draft and hold, but I think Miggy had some he had uh, some of his best stat cast metrics from a batted ball quality perspective last year. It seemed like he made a little bit of a contact for a power um, type of a type of a switch, but um, like the exit velocity, uh, the barrel rate, they were all the highest they'd been in a number of years. And I think he should get virtually every day at bats. I also, I believe it was a mining the news article, but it could have just been something that I saw uh, an article that I saw on Twitter that, um, AJ Hinch really wants to try him out at first base as well. So I think if he gets enough reps there where he can get some eligibility, that could be a really nice um, addition, but I think he can still hit for a decent batting average, uh, maybe a little bit of pop in the middle of that order. You know, I think getting that after an ADP of 400 is a really, uh, really nice way to go. Um, Another pitcher that I haven't talked about is Ronaldo Lopez. You know, again, this is towards the very end of, of, of a draft and hold, but at the cost where he's going, there was an article this week as well about the white Sox and their new pitching coach. who has been working with him on some mechanics that they think can get the velo back to where it's been previously. Um, and also, I mean, this is the same person who worked with Lucas Giolito to kind of help him regain his form. So hopefully they can, they can work on, um, uh, work on improving him uh, there um, you know, generally speaking in draft and holds, I like to target pitching towards the end of drafts. Like I go really heavy on pitching. Um, some guys that I am drafting kind of later on, um, would be like Anthony Alford. Um, he's on the pirates, uh, you know, stole He's got a decent stolen basis. He looks to be starting for the pirates, um, right now. And they have uh, more openings in their outfield now. So, Um, I really like him a lot uh, going pretty, uh, pretty late. I know his teammate. I mean, one of the things that I think is nice about these later round picks is thinking about guys who are maybe not in ideal situations, but are looking to get every day at bat. So Eric Gonzalez is another example, third base source, shortstop eligibility, um, you know, a guy who who actually had some decent stack cast metrics as well. So there's at least that glimmer of hope in addition to the plate appearances um, that pop out at folks. Um, some other guys, Brian O'Grady with the Padres is a guy I have a, few, a, a number of shares of. Um, he signed a major league deal with them, so it looks like he is going to be at least on the major league team. And he brings some power, he brings some speed coming over from the Rays. So, I mean, I think that that's the general profile of guys towards the end of drafts that I'm looking that I'm looking at. It's kind of like. A combination of maybe guys who aren't in great situations who can have access to playing time right away, or guys who might be able to step in if, if one guy gets injured and p- possibly fill a need on my team. So maybe it's that they're filling a power void. Maybe it's fi- that they're that they're filling some stolen bases or both. Um, you know, that's kind of the general type of profile in terms of hitters that I'm looking at later on. But the research tells us that you know, that those later round hitters are less likely to hit, I think, than the, than the pitchers are. So I generally try to focus on pitching
1: late. Yeah. Some of the guys I'm looking at, uh, and mine's more best ball-centric than draft and holds. So if it doesn't help you, I apologize. But it's a similar concept, I think, when we're looking at later players. Uh, a couple guys I, I'm going for for speed and uh, upside in the outfield, Roman Quinn and Tim uh, Tom LeCast- Tim LeCastro from the Diamondbacks. Those are two guys I've been getting super late in drafts. Um, We've seen them time and time again. When they get playing time, they can run. Um, might not be there right away, at least for Quinn, even though I believe he's, he was projected to start for the Phillies earlier this season. So if those two guys get playing time, that's pretty big. A catcher, I'm targeting a lot. I know no one really wants to talk about catchers, but if you're looking for a third or a fourth catcher for some reason late, um, Elias Diaz of the, of the Rockies, I'm getting in like the 48th round and later. Um, he's going to be, he's projected to start for the Rockies. In the draft and holds, where you get to set your lineup every week, or I believe like your DCs are setting your lineup every week. You can play them for those Coors weeks. Like those are that's a big pick for me late in a draft in those kind of formats. And then pitching is huge, and this is where it goes back to the relief pitcher question we just had. I was just looking at like a lot of my drafts right now. I've had a ton of Hector Neris late in drafts because he just sits around there. Um, I have a lot of like either Jordan Romano or Josh Stalmont. Stalmont's – that was before Greg Holland, obviously. Got signed to Kansas City by still like Stalmont's profile. And then it's jumping on pitchers like Jay Hap. I know he hasn't signed yet. He's going to sign somewhere. He's going to get you innings late. He's going to fill in stuff for you. Uh, Danny Duffy is not pretty, but he makes 25 starts. He's going to get you like 15 pretty decent starts. Like Guys like that that you can use to fill in if injuries take place or whatnot, like two-start weeks once time, once here and there, I take advantage of that because they're not sexy players. That's why they fall so much but they're going to be in the rotation unless they get hurt. And that's a a big thing for me. So kind of those boring starting pitchers late or those kind of relief pitcher chances we talked about. Those would be the guys I'm kind of looking at later in the draft. All right. The next question we have here is from our buddy. Oh, I'm going to save that one for last because that's a fun question. That doesn't involve fantasy baseball. Wow, I'm excited. Uh, Triple Play Fantasy asks, this is for you specifically, Toby. If you had a time machine and could go back a few days, would you draft Giancarlo Stanton again? Oh,
2: that's a good question. Uh, Probably not. (laughs) So
1: I drafted, for folks who, um,
2: on Twitter I just posted, I drafted Giancarlo Stanton for the first time ever. Um, uh, I think it was yesterday, I think, at pick 143 in in a draft and hold. And, you know, it's not a bad pick. I mean, I was partially joking, but it's also just like one of those picks. um, I think I made the comparison of, uh, I felt like exactly how Brian Cashman feels like every time he looks at his his payroll and he's like, I'm spending thirty million dollars on a hit a home run hitting dh essentially. and it's just that way because you know the fact of the matter is is like I picked him at one forty three so obviously I mean he's a huge value quote unquote value if you if you look at him on any projection system, like he's projected for 41 home runs, he's projected for over 100 RBI, you know, if he plays, he'll be successful. And it's not a draft pick that's going to hurt me that badly at 143. But it's just, I think, you know, it's kind of a roster construction dilemma, right? And, and I even had somebody reach out to me in my DMs who was like, wow, it was in the draft. It was like, wow, a, a Stanton pick. That's that, that was a real surprise. And it's more just like, you know, another guy could have gotten there was like uh, Brantley. You know, and you might be like, Brantley, Stanton. I mean, Stanton's got this huge ceiling, whatever. But the the fact of the matter is, is as I build my team out, I could have gotten Kyle Schwarber, you know, in in three rounds later. Is he he on a per plate appearance basis as good as Stanton? No. No. But would I be surprised if they had similar stats at the end of the season? No. Right? And so it's just like that power profile, the RBI, you know, those are available later on. Whereas Michael Brantley's 300, just lock it in for a 300 batting average is something that I think a lot of teams could use, especially as you head into the later draft rounds of the draft where those types of profiles either hurt you a little bit more or just aren't available. And so I was just a little bit bummed about that kind of decision-making process. Part of it was just a, let's get one, one, one share, you know, on one team. Um, And
1: so uh, for that perspective, I'm not bummed out about it, but I probably won't do it again. No, I get it. And that's like, there's a few things you said there that I I think need to get kind of hammered home. Like that last part where I wanted like a share on one team. I get it. Like I I literally was tweeting with Derek Rhodes and uh, Michael Simeone about today. I I took uh, Cole. So I started a best ball with Cole, Castillo, and I took Alberto in round three. They're like, oh, that's kind of crazy. Well, A, it's a a points league. If he does steal the way he's going to steal, Pretty good. And I'm like, and I want out of Bertos If he goes off, I want him somewhere on my roster. Like he's he's that risk we talk about. But the difference is that was round three. The the thing that I like that you said the most is he was where you picked Stanton was what round 12 or 13, something like that. Um I okay, yeah, I'm gonna, not good at math. I think he was round 10. Yeah, so something like that. Um, it's not gonna hurt you, like you said. It's not like one of your top picks where it could literally lose you the draft. You just have to approach your draft differently from now on, like you mentioned. And the ceiling for Stanton's huge. We've seen it time and time again. If we get a full season and he still plays 120 games or whatever, you're going to get your money's worth at that draft pick so you can replace him later on. And that's the context I think needs to get hammered home like you were talking about. Uh, Chris Towers talked about today. I think he quote tweeted you and went on a thread about it. or He was talking about Stanton on Twitter as well. And he brought up a lot of good points of, you know, when you look at his per plate appearances like you mentioned, you look at his projections, you look at all these different things. If he's healthy, which is always a big if with Stanton, He's still a very, very good ball player. Even last year in the little bit he was healthy, everything matched out. The, the stat cast numbers looked good. Everything was good. Just got to stay healthy. So at that point in the draft, it's fine. It's like we talk about. Everyone has a price, or that's not the right way to say it anymore. Everyone has a ADP that's worth taking a chance on. And um, he, you you've kind of got to that threshold with him, and you can roll. So I got, I got no problem with it. I, like you said, I wouldn't do it every draft. But to, to kind of diversify the portfolio – It works out pretty well all right at n biscardi 17 asks are you fading small sample of 2020 and this is a question we get a lot i see it a lot on twitter because it's kind of keeps going back and forth if so let's just start let's break this down are you fading the small sample of 2020 i think we kind of talked about it but would you like to reiterate real quick
2: yeah i mean i think i think we've touched on it a few times but um I mean, generally speaking, I think it's a, I think you take it on an individual player by player basis. Like there are some guys that I am, that I'm not too worried about, you know, what their 2020 look like, you know, like I just got Alex Bregman in my, in my last draft at a pick 53, you know, and it's kind of like he was injured. um, He started off slow. He got injured. He just never got going. I mean, when you look at the skills, still hit for a ton of contact, still has great plate discipline. You Maybe there's questions about the power, but just the volume that he puts in play, I think you can bank on pretty much 30 home runs from Brennan. You know, uh, that that's that's an example of a guy who had a rough season, who's fallen, I mean, maybe not that far, but 20 picks when you're falling from, you know, the second round into, into that area of the draft. You know, that that's an example, but especially like, you know, maybe for hitters, but I think more so with pitchers, I'm a little bit more interested because I think, you know, an example that, that was being discussed on Twitter today was, um, was John Means, who well, I'm a fan of. And it's like, you know, Means had a two-mile-per-hour increase on his fastball velocity. He struggled early on, and he had some injury concerns. I believe he was also on the bereavement list. I think his, um, somebody in his family passed away. And, so, and then he came back, and he was absolutely lights out. You know, he was his in-zone contact rate overall was in the mid 70s. I mean, that's Lucas Giolito territory. That's like the only other guy who's got that level of in-zone contact because his fastball was just, fit, you know, the last month of the season was 15% swinging strike rate. I mean, we talked about him on an earlier podcast, but was just lights out. And, and he was helped out, though, by super low BABIP and a really high strand rate. And so those things aren't necessarily, um, you know, uh, those things will regress right? Over the course of a full season as well. But, you know, those types of skill changes I think are translatable from season to season, right? He was facing major league hitters who had had a chance to adjust at least a month to adjust to hitting. And he was doing really well in a very good hitting division in the AL East. And so I don't see a reason why that can't necessarily translate. Now that doesn't mean that the risks that are inherent in his profile don't continue to exist. But that level, of, um, that level of skill is not something that any pitcher can, can achieve, right? You have to have certain tools. You have to have certain ability. And I think he has that. And so that's an example. Drew Smiley is another example where he put it together. So I'm looking for fundamental changes in the skills that can translate from season to season. Velocity being one of those things. A new pitch being another thing, right? Similar to like spring training in some ways. In terms of the things that you pay attention to. So that's kind of how I'm tackling to 2020. Similarly, like you can't fake max exit below, right? You can't fake um, those types of things. Certainly over a small sample, you can kind of finish at the higher end of your your range maybe, um, but you have to be able to kind of look at that and figure out what you think is is legit versus just, just small sample
1: uh, noise.
2: So, and I think that's a, it's a case by case basis.
1: Yeah, no, that's the biggest thing. It's case by case. Like I always say, you got to take it with a grain of grain of salt. Like you said, look into it. Some things are actually legit and repeatable, like you said. Some aren't. Um, he's gonna he's got a Mancota question here, and we have talked about Mancota guys. We know that had COVID. that had issues with COVID. That said, they had issues with COVID. That'll make us take things differently for 2020. So just kind of keep keep looking at mining the news from Jeff Zimmerman. He keeps coming out with good things about guys that were working on things that are working on things now that can help us kind of differentiate how much of 2020 really mattered. Like, because I think we, we said it a long time ago, the beat writers didn't have access. We didn't know a lot of things going on. Like we usually do like how sick were guys, how tired were guys, how much of it was just a feel thing. Like the things we usually find out in during the season, like after a game, we had no idea, like we have no clue. So there's certain things you can follow certain things you can't. I, I would not ever say throw the whole thing out. I've seen guys say, I'm not even looking at 2020 and that's not the right way to do it either. Cause Sadly, these guys are a year older, so no matter what you think, their body's a year older, so production is going to change. Like, that's just the way it's going to go, for the good or the bad. But um, I, I would not completely ignore 2020, that's for sure. Um, he says, if so, who may you give a pass to or not either way? I, I love what Tucker did and uh, did and see him as a possible elite while ignoring Mancata's season. So he likes using Tucker's info, ignoring Mancata. Any logic here? Who are you guys going to ignore or lean into with poor or great 2020s? So, yeah, we agree. You can pick and choose based on what you look into, Tucker, Moncada, and whatnot. Um, you mentioned Means. Is there anybody else you're kind of looking to fade or you like more based on their good or bad 2020? Um,
2: I mean, I, I could go through the list and identify a bunch of different guys. I mean, there's just things like – I mean, it's all – I think it's all just about trying to figure out what do you think is the true talent level of this player – and like, what is their you know what is what is their what is their twenty twenty one you know draft stuffs like Jose Abreu? I believe everything that he did last year, right? I mean, like he was a really really good hitter, but I also don't want to draft him at pick you know thirty six, right, where he's going right now, um, you know. And so, like Rafael Devers is another example of a guy. He's moving up now, but his ADP over the last month is forty four, which for me as a, as a young guy who continued to hit the ball with authority, he struggled with contact a little bit, but I think we can give him a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a pass, um, for 20, 2020. So that's another example of a guy who, you know, I think is being faded compared to where he was going last year. That really shouldn't be. Um, I haven't been, I haven't been willing to jump on some of the hotter pitching guys, you know, um, uh, like Zach, please, You know, I like him. I think he showed some really good stuff. But you know, at the draft price that you need to pay for him right now, I'm not willing to go there. Similar with Corbin Burns. Again, both pitchers that I like, but I just you know that, that seems to be a little high for me. Which I could certainly could certainly be wrong on that. Um, so I think there's a lot of different guys. I mean, some of the guy like Yuli Gurriel is a good example of a guy I love who like has fallen way back. I mean, not that far back, but. You know, there's just so many boring veteran guys that, that I think Altuve is another example who's fallen way too far as well. So there's a ton of them. And I think I'm more interested in those guys than the guys who maybe, you know, made a jump last year that, that are up there. You know, Trent Grisham is, there's kind of like that group around 50, 50 to 55, where you have to pay a lot for guys who did really well last year. So those are just some examples. I think you could kind of go through the ADP and, and see them in each round.
1: Yeah, no, and I think hitters more so than pitchers because um, the hot new toy in pitching, I, I, I need to see more there where hitters. Like you mentioned, Altuve, I think he's a great guy. I haven't targeted him a ton already. I think there's a lot to, uh potential to gain from where his draft price is. Um, you, I've, I've talked about Moncada a lot. I think he, his draft price is going way too low. Uh, Matt Chapman's another guy. He had the injury that we didn't know was as bad as it was, and all of a sudden he has surgery. He's supposed to be okay now. So that's uh, another another guy that's going super late compared to where he should go. Uh, Jack Flaherty is a pitcher we've talked about here that, um, you know, last year was a borderline turn guy in the 1-2 turn. Now he's more the 2-3 turn in drafts, and he just had a complete COVID season. That's the best way I can phrase it. So, th- like you said, there's a lot of guys you can go through the list and kind of make your arguments here and there about some guys getting bumps, some guys, like a pitcher that's going higher than I think he should go is Ian Anderson. I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to go there. He got he got quite the bump, but there's there's other pitches around him I'd rather trust. So it's like we're not giving you like a straight up here's a list of guys, but it's one of those. It goes back to the start of this whole question. It's kind of a case by case, and you go you go through there. There's a ton of them. I think there's more so guys like Toby mentioned that I'd rather take chances on that. I think a fun exercise is go look at 2020 ADP and compare it to this ADP, and look at like the first three rounds and look where a bunch of those guys are going now. Like even J.D. Martinez, who struggled a lot, but you look at his second half, uh, stack has hard hit and all that, was phenomenal, back to what it was before. And he didn't have the the video like he likes. He, sp- he should hopefully get it back this year. He's like going in the, what, fifth, sixth, seventh round in some drafts. That's another guy to take a look at. So little things like that to uh, peek at as the draft season comes along. And I have a feeling a lot of those guys are going to creep up come March. So get, get them in now. They're going to creep up come March. Um, Daniel Prepas asks, curious to hear your rookie hitter and spec closer ranks, top five each. Uh, he asked you this, and uh, I know you're in some drafts with him right now, so curious about this. But um, do you have any rookie hitters that you're looking at? And then uh, after we discuss that, we'll look at some closers. Uh,
2: rookie hitters, uh, no. I honestly like don't have any rookie hitters that I'm really that in on. I think this year is so difficult because, you know, we missed out on an entire season of minor leagues. And last year was just different with the way that they were handling prospects, moving them up and down. I mean, Joey Bart's a great example where, you know, last year he he gets an opportunity to play in the big leagues. And this year, you know, it sounds like he's going to go down to double A or triple A, right? Potentially for the full season, right? So you don't necessarily often see those types of moves. And I think you're seeing them again. I mean, generally speaking, you know, the rookies just, they get the, the price either gets inflated if they're good or they drop down. I mean, I don't know if Nate Lau, uh, Nate, no, Brandon Lau. Nate Bo, Nate Lowe. Lowe. I don't know if Nate Lowe counts as a rookie anymore, but he's an example of a guy who I think has clear opportunity for full-time plate appearances, at least initially, maybe he gets platooned after that, but Um, You know, that's an example of a guy that I, that I'm interested in, but again, like the price is getting pushed up really far and the, and, and that ranger situation is, is nice in the sense that it gives him full-time plate appearances, but it's not a great hitters park and it's, it's, it's not necessarily a great lineup. So that's one example of kind of, I guess, quote unquote, a rookie that I have um, access to one guy that I have a lot on draft and holds is, is Garrett Crockett. I don't know, or crochet, um, crochet. White Sox. He obviously is not going to be the closer um, with Liam Hendricks being signed, but you know he's just a really high K guy. Absolutely dominated when he came up, and so you know that's maybe a guy who who could have. I mean, probably won't have access to saves, but at least maybe in, as a kind of middle relief guy um, can get you some good ratios and some strikeouts. But I, honestly, like I don't really. Um, Keegan Aiken, I have a number of, um, I have number of shares of his, you know. So, I just, I just generally steer clear. I don't see a reason to to invest heavily in rookies, especially this year. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing some guys. Oh, you know, Laodie Tavares. Yes, that's he's not I mean. later I was on. I
1: was I've been getting Tegan a bunch of
2: him. I, I've actually, what do I have? I have Tavares, I have after my, I'll have him in six of eight drafts after today, just because I think he's hit, he's, he's batting lead off. He's got some pop. I think he's got some growth that he can make. He walks a decent amount, stole eight bases in whatever 150 plate appearances. There's no reason to hold back on the stolen bases. So I think, you know, I don't think like 1530 is out of the out of the question for him. The batting average is a little bit suspect, but he's a guy. But he's not going later on necessarily. And what was the second part of the question?
1: Well, let me get my uh, rookie. Yeah, draft. yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Um, so like Lowe's guy, I have on my list uh, Tavares. I was going to mention him as well. Those are two for sure. A guy I love that I talked about in the third base podcast is Cabrian Hayes. I think mm-hmm. that's the guy I'll be targeting a bunch. He's moving up in draft, so he's not going late. But he's just asking for rookie hitters. So you have you have Hayes and you have Bomb at third base. Bomb also has first base eligibility. Both very good rookies to take a stab on, if you need to. Um, you know you're gonna have Kyle Tucker, you're gonna have Randy Arosarena. Those are kind of gimmies though, where they're going in drafts. I, the the Tavares Call will be probably one of my top rookies to look at there. Um, then it just comes down to like if you have Mountcastle. Um, I don't really, I'm not in love with Mountcastle, but I get it later in drafts. If you want to take a sh- a chance on him, uh, you could go that direction. There's not a lot else that I, I have circled at the this time when it comes to to, to rookies the main ones are that the Hayes uh, low and uh, Tavares are three that I like a ton pitching wise I'll probably stay away from that's just not my thing uh, his second part of his question was speculative closers we kind of talked about them earlier who are your top five speculative closers
2: yeah there's a ton of those um, uh, Pierce Johnson um, is a guy I have a bunch of shares of so far. He's with the Padres, pitched super well end of last year. Obviously, they don't have a closer right now. I mean, Pomerantz looks like he might be the closer, but you have Pomerantz, you have Pagan. But, I mean, I think that the thing that I'm kind of looking for is no set closer. And, like, what is the, um, what is the, uh, the incentives that a team has for going with a different guy. Right. So there's that. I love, um, Phil Maton or yeah, I think Phil Maton of the, of uh, Cleveland. Um, so he's another guy. I mean, obviously it looks like it's going to be Corinne check, but Maton was lights out, uh, end of, end of last year. Um, so he's a guy that I've been really interested in. Um, I mentioned, um, uh, man, why, why I mentioned Chris Martin as a guy that I like, um, a lot, uh, you know, he's not that late, but he's like going around pick 400 and he seems to have a share of the job. Um, at least, um, Connor Brogdon, I mentioned him, he's on the Phillies again. I think Narris is the closer there, but he pitched really, really well. He's actually a forecaster guy where I was actually haven't have gone a little into a little depth of the forecaster, but he's a guy who jumped out um, when I was looking over the forecaster really briefly there is um, kind of another guy that that um, is is pretty interesting to me. So I think that's four guys that are um, you know have kind of piqued my interest and I'm definitely interested in in, um, in having some shares of them in, in draft and holds. And I'm sure, Daniel, you, you will take it easy on me and not, not draft any of those guys in our draft that we're
1: going through right now. Uh, one of my favorite ones, I forgot to mention him earlier about later round picks. Uh, Red Sox, Derwinson Hernandez, uh, lefty, mm-hmm. throws very hard. I could see him getting some saves if Matt Barnes scuffles again. That's, that's an arm I could see getting some shots. His talent level is great. So he's a guy I've been grabbing in a lot of places. You mentioned Garrett Crochet. I think he's a phenomenal one as well. Um, if something with Hendricks, or they want to go a lefty and bummers on around. Um, You mentioned a, an Indian, but uh, Nick Wittgren, like, Kerenczak should be the guy, but there's already reports coming out that Nick Wittgren is a good chance to jump in there. So that one's uh, one that might be closer to happening at the moment. He's a guy that's uh, quite interesting when taking a look at that. And then, like, when you look at Oakland, they say Jake Diekman, but J.B. Wendelkin is a machine when it comes to fastball to strikeouts. Uh, Deekman's a lefty. Wendelkin could snap into some saves as a righty, so I don't mind him at all. Uh, Jonathan Hernandez in Texas. Uh, LeClerc should get the starts and saves. I like Jonathan Hernandez a ton in Texas. Uh, I think he's got better pitcher overall, period. So I think he runs into some as well. So those are some of the guys I've been targeting for now. There's a bunch you can look at. There's a lot of committee situations coming up, but those are the main guys that I would, and I guess I'll will give a I'll give a Giants one here. If Reyes Maranta is healthy, he should be the closer. I'm just going to say that one. So, right now, reports are he's healthy. If he actually comes in the spring, Reyes Maranta is one to uh, go take a chance at. Like that one quite a bit. All right. The next question on the show is I believe it was from Preppus again. Nope. Nope. It is from Zaddy Guerrero Jr. Who is your favorite hitter that had a sub 200 batting average, a 300 OBP, and a sub 300 OBP in 2020? Minimum 100 plate appearances. Um, Brian Reynolds, Evan White, Jock Jams, Calhoun. I believe that was Willie Calhoun. Um, Nico Goodrum, Dalton Varsho, Tyler O'Neal, Shed Long, Omar Narvaez, Ruben Odor, Adele Kingery, Renfro, Gary Sanchez. So, out of that long so list of. Many, teams, so many. So many of them. Who's your so favorite many, one? I mean, on if, you went
2: by, if you went by the number of times I've drafted a player, it would probably be Varshow. <laughs> um, I mean, I think Varshow is just a. We talked about him in the the catch. I mean, he has a chance to really blow up that position. He plays every day in the outfield, you know. Um, I mean, you're looking at, I mean, I think the projections would have him close to 20 stolen bases at that point from a catcher. You know, so you're talking about uh, kind of Falefa type stuff with a little bit more power. Theoretically, again, he didn't do well in his first year. Um, Outside of that, Brian Reynolds. I think I think there there really wasn't anything in the profile for why Reynolds should have been so bad. I think there was actually some areas of improvement, like his barrel rate. And I think he's gonna be in the middle of that pirates lineup. I think he might steal steal a little bit, hit for high batting average, decent amount of power. So uh, of the list that you mentioned, I think it would be Varsho and Reynolds that I am most interested in and, and who I have on on the most number of my teams. I'm actually really sad I was gonna get Brian Reynolds in a in a my draft that I'm in right now, and somebody took him a, a couple picks before me, looking for that late batting average. It would have been beautiful, but was not meant to be.
1: Would have been beautiful. Uh, Varsho and Reynolds, I agree with those two for sure. The third guy that I would have put on this list, Evan White. Uh, I know we talked about him in the first base position. I haven't really drafted him yet because at that point in the draft, I already have three or sometimes like four first baseman because I've been a little more aggressive on them this year. Because I, I, I like Evan White, not sure I want to re- have to use him every week right now. That that's the thing. But I do believe there's a bounce back. We talked about the strikeout rates and the swinging strike rate and the the contact rates. Everything last year was so far out of whack compared to what he did. Yet his hard contact, I everything mean, it it's like the quality of contact was still very good. So I believe there's, you know, like a regression to the mean situation and he'd still be like a 250 to 260 hitter with power. And I think that's a lot better than what, you know, below 200 hitter we saw last year. So I think Evan White's a guy you can definitely target later in drafts if you're, needing some first base or corner infield help. AOK underscore Tigers fan asks, draft strategy. For hitters, if there's a run on a position in the draft, when do you decide to reach to make sure you get someone acceptable at the position for sticking with your list and taking the next player on your list regardless of position? So when there's a run, Toby, when do you decide to jump in on the run even though it's not technically the quote-unquote next guy up for you? Or do you just say, screw it, and I'll deal with it later?
2: Yeah, I think it really depends on the player and the position. Like a good example would be, you know, you know, as you're building out your team, I mean, you should be thinking about the types of profiles that fit into your team at any given time during the, especially when you get later on. So we're probably, we're talking later on in the drafts here, generally speaking with the runs, you know, because if it's earlier on in the draft and there's a run on a position and you don't really like the, the next guy up, well, you might not like that next guy up, but okay, let's say that that's going to be the worst position that you have, right? Like let's say there's a run on second base and you'd have to push up the next second baseman that you like the most to get him, to make sure you get him. I'd rather just wait on the position and maybe have that be my weakest position and, and reach ahead. If there's a clear, clearly other guys who are better than that player or fit my team a little bit better than that player. So I would say that generally speaking, but it really depends. I mean, like in my current draft right now, I, my catcher two spot was was open and I wanted a little bit more batting average help. And so I felt like, you know, Yadi Molina was an important guy for me to snag there, even though I think there's some fairly similar catchers maybe. So I don't know if I pushed him up a little bit. His ADP is like 288. I think I got him at 248. But I just like him and I know that, you know, if he's if he contributes like he's supposed to, if he hits his projections, then it'll be a, a plus pick. So it really just depends. I think a lot. And I think what you should be thinking about maybe more a little bit is the types of profiles that you're going to need at the remaining positions on your team. So if you need batting average and you're late in drafts, then that's going to dictate you maybe being interested in certain hitters within each position. So like first base, it does not have a lot of high batting average guys late. So I, you know, maybe I'm looking at Yuli Guriel and I'm going to push him up to get him at first base, not necessarily because there aren't other first basemen available, but because that is the a fairly unique profile, you know, to, that meets the needs of my team. So I don't know if I'm answering the question appropriately, but it's generally I don't react to those runs earlier on in drafts or even in the middle of the drafts. It's much more about both the position that the player plays and the profile that fits there. And if I need that, so it's a little bit like a puzzle in that sense. And so I don't think there's a hard and fast rule, but hopefully that is helpful uh, answer to your question.
1: Yeah. Kind of the way I'd go about it, um, I guess to make it in terms that I understand as well as um, uh, you would use your dollar values. So I guess one way that he could look at it, if it's just looking like a sheet is when they get to certain like tiers of dollar values, and, you, you know, maybe he wanted to get X amount of dollars from a position here and there. And that'll relate to the uh, stats you're looking for. Or I know a lot of some places still do rankings based on tiers. I don't do tier rankings. But the whole premise of tiers is to make sure you get guys in certain tiers. And so when, like, tier three is running low, you want to make sure you get one of tier three before it goes into tier four. So if that helps you stay focused on what your, tra- your goals are, then tier rank. That's one reason they're there for it. It's not what I use anymore because, like Toby said, it's more about knowing the player pool and what you need at each position, which relates to your stats and what's available down the line. Now, he used the Gurriel example. If you think you can get bagging average from another outfield spot later that you can use, then you could—you don't have to force it at first, but it's an example that if you need it at first, there's Gurriel. So it's more about knowing what's left. Like It's like playing blackjack and kind of having an idea of what cards are left in the deck where can I go? Or do I have to like hold here and get something? It's just kind of situations along those lines. I know I'm starting to babble now, but a lot of cards, is that what you're telling us? Yes. I'm counting cards. Yes. That's why I live in in my little three bedroom house that uh, I I keep it under the radar. Um, But yeah, it's, it's more about knowing your personal situation. Don't reach just to reach basically make sure it's the right thing to do. Um, But I I get it. Like a certain position is like, Second base, we talk about late guys like Castro and stuff. But we've also mentioned how good, like, those top four guys are. So if you see a run where, like, those three guys go and there's one left, okay, like, if you want to reach, like, a round on them, that's fine. But don't go reaching, like, four rounds on guys just to reach. Then you're losing your your leverage, basically. So that's kind of what I'm trying to get at there.
2: Yeah, I I, I think maybe here's a good way to describe it, maybe the way that I think about it, too, is – you, you're, when you're in a draft, you're trying to draft the best team, yes. the best team that gives you the best opportunity to win your league, whatever the settings are. Your role is not to draft the best player at each position, right? And so think about which group of players, which set of players from round one through the end of the draft is going to give you the best team and the best chance to win. And sometimes we get hyper focused on individual positions and not, you know, getting a guy before this tier drop off or you're getting a guy on that, that's tier drop off. But does that guy fit fit the build of your team to make it the most the, the best team that it can be? Or are you just drafting that guy so that you can be like, well, I didn't have a really crappy first phase, right? So maybe that's maybe that's what it boils down to, if that makes sense too. I don't know.
1: It's a great question though. No, it it that uh, makes a lot of sense. Like, don't don't force yourself to take the shiny new toy just because it's a shiny new toy. Make sure it actually fits your team to give you the best team. Like, you could have a bunch of cool players like that are, are great, but if you get a bunch of risky players just because they had a great year last year, you might not have the best team because they could all hit the skates real quick. So, yeah, no, that that's a great way to put it. Our buddy Comac do Cody Mac he asks start a four by four league. Using advanced metrics and statistics, which ones are you picking? I mean, that
2: would be a really boring league, Cody. Come on. (laughs) I don't know. Like pitching, I'd just have it be K minus walk rate. So it'd be a one, one by one, K minus walk rate and WRC plus. That sounds fun, right? Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, I think this is that. That's kind of like the tricky thing about this is. A lot of times we want to like do have fantasy baseball and i know this is just a fun question but we want to have like fantasy baseball mirror real life but it's not that it's not that fun you know like right i mean you could you could just drill down and drill down and drill down until like the biggest basic skill right but um really like you know i just you know yeah i i I don't know what it, the four by four would be, but literally pitching would just be K minus walk rate and, you know, and maybe X, X, Woe Bacon, you know, just to drill down on that, on that hitting piece. And, and I don't know, the hitting would be like WRC plus and I don't know, WRC plus. That's it. I
1: was, I was thinking X, Woe Bacon, you could do like a, average exit velocity of your team or max exit velocity average of your team something along those lines. Um yeah. you, you could do for fun if you want to take you, you do expected home runs instead of Ooh. actual home runs because some guys would lose some but some guys would gain some so that could get interesting because you really how do you draft that um just throw an X in front of whatever the metric exactly. is Exactly. you that you I'd do
2: X RBI X runs X home runs X stolen bases shout out to forecaster and baseball HQ and then expected average. That would be, that would be what I would
1: do. You could have fun with like first pitch or first pitch strikes or actually one I'd like instead of strikeouts, put away percentage. Mm. That That's a fun one. Uh, but yeah, you it's, you can have all kinds of fun at the same time. You know how tough that would be to break that down for a draft. That would be something. Yeah. But uh, yes, as, Je- as Justin said, I love bacon, and I so do I, Justin, and and that's my, Expo bacon is like my favorite stat, I think, because it says bacon, and I like how it just discusses plays in contact, so <laughs> that it's a combination of things for my uh my lazy brain. Um, Dave Petro's yellow asks, I made a preliminary list. Wait, let me I made a preliminary list on paper because I like to remember what it was like when I first started playing fantasy baseball of what players I like at their draft spots. How much would you emphasize getting players earlier at positions that you don't like as many players at while obviously still weighing in value? In other words, maybe I would give up a smidge of value, but not too much. We kind of just discussed this, um, but yeah. would how far are you usually willing to jump? To get a player, I think it's kind of more roundabout what he's talking about here. What what's your willingness to jump? Like I, I said earlier, you know, don't jump like three or four rounds, but if it's like a round, okay, that works. What's your kind of jumping area?
2: I think it depends where in the draft you are. Um, a lot. I mean, like from a position standpoint, like a good example is you know earlier on, I found I was drafting like Ozzie Albies and I was drafting second baseman, but I actually really like some of the later values like like I actually do have I don't have any Jose Altuve at all even though I really like him mm-hmm. it's just it just hasn't worked out yet but like um you know like I like Tommy Edmund a lot you know at second base or you know I like Nick Solak a lot at second base or I like you know um Ked El Marte at second base right so there's just like all these guys that I like later on in second base and so in that particular sense maybe I was like nah well I don't really need to prioritize Ozzy Alves I feel like I can get you know, a pretty good second baseman that I feel like is a value that's good to me. I mean, one thing about jumping rounds, I think, is that earlier on, there's more differentiation in terms of values, right? So, like, maybe your round one guy is like, and I'm just making this up, don't, is like a $30 player. And then your round two guy is a $25 player, right? So, there's like a $5 valuation difference. And then your round three guy is a $20 player, you know? And then the next guy is a $15 player. So there's actually a fairly different, big difference in terms of value there. But when you're drafting around pick one hundred and fifty or one hundred and eighty, the difference is like the difference between one hundred and fifty and one hundred and eighty. I, sh- I should actually just look at my my valuation spreadsheet. So, um, so the number one hundred fiftieth player in my valuations um, is drum roll please <laughs> the one, number one hundred fiftieth. Uh, guy as my thing spread things Brett thinks, is Michael Brantley. Wow, speak of the devil, yeah, that's speak of Michael Brantley. It's actually June it Segura, but Michael Brantley's on line one hundred and fifty of my Excel, so we'll go with him. <laughs> he's an eleven dollar player at one hundred and fifty, and at one hundred and eighty, they got uh, one hundred and eighty. It's Ramon Laureano, so he's nine fifty, and um, and Brantley is eleven dollars. So there's a dollar and 50 cent difference in valuation, right? If I go the difference between Loreano at 950 and say, pick 225, you know, it's 653. So it's a few dollars. But I guess what I'm trying to say is when you look at those valuations, the difference literally is like three home runs, yeah. you know, or three stolen bases or 15 points in batting average, there becomes like a lot less of a difference from pick to pick between the players. And I think at that point in time, I think it's all about, again, what is the best team that I can build? And I think when people say, go get your guys, you know, it's, I think it's totally accurate in the sense that if you really like a guy and you think that he's better than his ADP, don't be afraid to jump. You know, don't be don't be worried about jumping. If if you think a guy is important to building the best team, then then jump in there. You know, like just get that guy because literally, if you think that he's going to hit three three more home runs than his projection currently is, then he's likely going to be worth that value, right? Or he's uh, not value, but he's also he's likely going to be worth that cost, right? And, and and that's just looking at it from a purely valuational perspective. There are some guys that because of the way that they accumulate stats in different categories may or may not be more or less valuable to you and your team construction. And so recognizing that and not necessarily looking at it in, in, like a, in, a, in a myopic way, in a one-dimensional way, but like it's a multi-dimensional puzzle that you're trying to put together. And so, and so don't be afraid to get the piece that you need, even if it costs you a little bit more if that's the piece you need, you know?
1: Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. That's why I was um, the get your guy part, I think, is the important part there for me because that's one thing we talk about a lot. And, you know, you get in your drafts and kind of our next question will kind of follow up with that as well. A lot of people, a lot of guys we draft with know us, and you know them. Like, you know who you're drafting with for the most part. Like, when we get the TGFBI, you're going to know most of the room, at least half the room. Uh, we do our Battle of the Podcast League. We know that entire room. So they know who we like. We know who they like. Go get your guys. Um, you know, you're talking to Petro Ziello, the guy they asked the question. He's in NFC leagues. A lot of these guys know their stuff very well. So they know if you're in on a guy, they're probably in on a guy too. Or at least someone that's drafting after you before your next pick is going to be in on a guy. So be willing to go a round or two. That's fine. Don't go crazy. The other part to what you're saying, how the evaluations get closer and closer dollar-wise, I think it's like something we've talked about. Earlier on in drafts, you got more four to five category guys. Later in drafts, the evaluations, like you said, are uh, three homers here, three stolen bases here, whatever. But the farther back you go, you're drafting needs for your team, not so much an all-around player. So you can kind of gauge things differently. Like, okay, I don't have to force myself here. I'll go get another power source in the outfield over here, so on and so forth. Like there's little angles you can go off of based on the the player pool that's left. So getting your guys, I think, is better than saying jump for value. That's where I would go. I'm with you there because – um, the other, okay. The last example I'd give is you mentioned waiting for like a two base or whatever at second base. Um, what I like to try to do, like you said, you said, Edmund is have like three guys you think are very similar to each other afterwards. And that's when you can try to kind of maybe think, okay, now I need to go get a guy like, and this isn't a top tier guy. It's a mid round guy. Okay. These guys are pretty close to each other. I want one of these three because then the drop off to the next guy I likes like six later. And I don't know if I want to wait that long to have to force my hand then. So it's kind of something like that when you're drafting. That uh, is the angle I would go off of. Zach, at Zach Roto, the guy running our uh, podcast league, does knowing your opponents well, i.e. Battle of the Pods, cheap promo starting on Friday, change anything up for draft strategy or KDS? Who do you want to draft next to? So you draft in these big NFBC leagues with so a lot of guys that know you and you know them. How much does that affect you?
2: Um, I really don't. I really don't think about who, what other people are drafting or who else is drafting. Um, the only way it c- comes across my mind is, yeah, if I know that a guy is, is in, if I know that a player is a uh, player that I'm playing against is into a certain player and I'm also into a certain player, then that may impact the way that I draft them. Right. So, and, and I think, you know, and and there's so many different variables, but generally speaking, I don't really pay attention to what other people in the draft room are doing, you know, because I'm, I'm, you know, and it's easier in a draft and hold to focus on like what else is happening just because you have more time. But I'm pretty much focused on trying to build the best team that I can in that draft space. And again, like, it's not that I'm going to ignore information. Like, you know, you're drafting 12th, I think in our draft and I'm drafting 14th. And so I know that, you know, the guys that i like, right? And i know the guys that you like. Yep. But, and so maybe i'm going to be like, well, Bubba's definitely going to take this guy in the next two times that 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 it goes through him. So i need to pick draft this guy now or else i'm not going to get him and i need to figure out what i'm going to do. But there are maybe like one or two instances in the draft where something like that is going to happen. And yep. generally speaking, you know, the only time i would contemplate hopping that is if i'm like this is the guy that's available and I really need this profile and this profile, I don't really see it anywhere else. And so I got to maybe jump the guy that I regularly would, would get in this instance because Bubba's there, but you know, you know, and it kind of gets to that, that idea that like, you know, yeah, you you share what you do as an analyst and people pay attention to it. But when you're in the draft room, guys want to draft their teams. Right. And they, and they're, and they're, and they're smart and they want to, you know, and they have the guys that they like and they may be the same as me. They may not be the same as me, but they're going to draft who they want to draft. I'm not going to draft the guy because I'm I, I like them, because I'm because I, I I think they're good,
1: you know. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think like the other example is it might be more important in the middle of a draft when we're at the turn like this. Worrying about what I'm doing when there's like 28 picks between your two picks or whatever it's a lot different. Like where I might have to worry about what you're doing because there's literally like four picks or five picks until my next one, and you have two of them, so that gets interesting. But yeah, if you're sitting in the middle of the draft, like say your pick seven, well now you got to think this way or that way. You might have to go jump a pick early because you don't want to jump. Like you'd be jumping almost two rounds basically to get your guy, and that's a little different than jumping the one. But uh, like you said, I, I did a bunch of listener leagues last year, and I was getting sniped all over the place. And that's just one of those deals. They listen to the show, they know who I like. The thing we pride ourselves on, I, I know we talk about a lot, is knowing the player pool and having players you can pivot to. And that's just the way drafts go. You're never going to you're never gonna walk into a draft room, no matter who you're drafting with, if you know them all or don't know them all, and leave with every player you want. That's never going to happen. So you have to be able to adjust on the fly. And, hey, maybe it's a little more challenging because they know who we like. That's part of the deal. Uh, and that's kind of part of the fun to me, too. I, I, I like having to kind of think, Hey, do I really want to take this guy here? Or can I wait and take this guy here? That's part of the fun of drafting. Like, can you can you still fill your team out here instead of just literally walking in and going, hey, I scripted this out, and I know I'm going to get all these guys. I'm going to walk away now type thing. That's, it's just not the way it's going to work. So roll with the punches. Uh, Richard Sands asked, three offensive players and three starting pitchers you're looking at after pick 500 for DCs and best balls. So give me three offensive guys after pick 500, Toby. Three
2: guys, three offensive guys after pick 500, huh? Um, All right. I really don't draft a lot of guys after pick 500 who are on offense. Let's see what we got here. Um, I mean, I mentioned Anthony Alford. I think just, you know, he has access to playing time. I think he's he's pretty good. Uh, Who else? Oh, another guy, um, Jason Vossler. Uh, He's with the Giants um you know he he actually has a pretty good projection um he's he's kind of like an older minor leaguer who's hit really well I want to say did the Giants did they then did they take him the rule five or did they sign him or trade for him I, I can't I, remember how they I thought it was
1: the rule five but I honestly can't remember off the top of my head right now
2: they, yeah. they gave up something to get him which makes yeah. me think that they see something in him so Vossler's another guy that I um that I've been targeting, um, later on, um, gosh, it's so hard. I mean, literally like, you know, I really don't draft a lot of hitters later, later on after pick 500. I'm trying to be accurate in providing you with, with good things, (laughs) but I'm just not, I'm not seeing guys that I'm really taking maybe Pat Belaika. I think he's after pick 500. He's, yeah, five he's, he's first base, second base, shortstop, and I think he may get some playing time, and he had some pretty good metrics.
1: Yeah, he's um, a guy I, I had circled. He played a lot towards the end of last year, and with uh, shortstop opening up there in Baltimore, he might get the first run as well. So he's an interesting target. Um, I mentioned Brendan Rodgers on the second base pod. If, God forbid, they ever had an opening for him, that would be a steal, epic 508. So he's an interesting one in those deeper leagues. If you want to take a chance there, I don't mind him in this. Tim LaCastro at 543. I mentioned him earlier for a late round steals guy. Uh, Brandon Marsh of Anaheim is getting some buzz as a potential fourth outfielder, like a squeeze in to a role for the uh, Angels. He's a top, he's a high end prospect for them. And then the last guy I'll mention because you're like you said, you're kind of just throwing darts here. I know you said three guys, but I want to give you this one more. I just had him circled. Where the heck did he go? Craig um, Gardner's falling like crazy. That's always interesting, but I, I just can't. Can't force myself to do that one, but um, um, Josh Jung of Texas. There's a chance he gets some third base work with uh, if they do shift Andrus out of the way and move IKF over to uh, shortstop. Josh Jung, the rookie, uh, he's, well, he would be a rookie because make his debut, but uh, there's a good chance he could get some run this year for Texas. Would be a guy I wouldn't mind looking at. Um, where do you have? Do you have three pitchers you like after pick five hundred?
2: Yeah, I've mentioned a bunch of them already. Um, One guy I haven't mentioned before, I mean, I've mentioned like Lauer and Suter and Vasquez and uh, Reynaldo Lopez. So a bunch of them. One guy I haven't talked at all about that I'm into is Jeff Hoffman. Um, Hoffman was traded. They traded Robert Stevenson, the Reds, for Hoffman. So clearly they see something in him. And when you look at him and when you think about Spincennati. You know, and kind of the focus on spin. He's got a, a really high percentile, both fastball velocity and fastball spin. Um, and so I think that that's really interesting because just because of what the Reds can do and I think what they're looking for. And so he also has two pitches, I wanna say, I think it's a changeup and a curve that both have 15% swinging strike rate on them in addition to his fastball. So he's already got two. Decent, um, decent offerings. Let me just confirm that. I'm just gonna look that up because what happens to me, as people who listen to the show probably know, is you know I look at a lot of these, uh, I look at a lot of different metrics for pitchers, and then I remember guys being certain things, and then they end up not being, and then I look foolish. Yeah. So, so his four seam only had a five percent swinging strike rate, but again, he's in cores and he's got the velocity, he's got the spin. He's got a change up that generates a 15.6% swinging strike rate um, and a curveball that generates a 12.5% uh, swinging strike rate. And so for me, that's just a really interesting, um, I think that's a really interesting profile to be in there. The Reds are certainly looking to move some of the guys in their rotation, possibly Sonny Gray, which could open up an opportunity. Um, and they also have Wade Miley in their rotation. So, you know, it's essentially an open spot there. Um, but Jeff
1: Hoffman is a guy that I haven't really mentioned before on any shows that I really like as well. Um, there's a there's a bunch of guys back here. Like I know we mentioned a bunch earlier. Darwinson Hernandez is back here after pick 600. Uh, that's a guy I've been targeting quite a bit. If you want to play in the save game, you got Jose Alvarado back here who could be splitting some time with Hector Neris. But uh, starting pitcher wise, Logan Webb around pick 580 will be in the Giants' rotation. He's a, I think he's a good best ball draft and hold type guy because. We saw stretches of him being very, very good. We saw some hiccups with him. Um, there's a lot of volatility there, but when he's on, lots of strikeouts, uh, pretty decent ratios too. So I think Logan Webb, and he should have a spot in the rotation. if something really crazy happens. So I, I don't mind him. But, man, there's a lot of speculative closers back here. Wendelkin's back here. Um, our boy Vinny V's back here. This this is why Toby said he pretty much takes pitchers late. Like, I'll sprinkle in some bats here and there, but you can make arguments in deeper situations like – Okay, Alex Cobb is not a sexy name, but when you, can de- you can decide when he pitches or they only take his best starts, basically. He's still going to give you 10 to 15 pretty good starts. And in a deep, deep league where you have no roster moves, he doesn't suck. Like, those are the kind of things that I like to take chances on later in drafts. Like, John Lester's back here at 650. Like, not great, but he's going to start pretty much every fifth day. He's going to sign somewhere and start every fifth day. So – um, that's the kind of guys I'd, I'd look at. There's a bunch back Jose Urania just signed with the Tigers. I know that's the guy Toby's been on in the past. That's that's another guy to target. So lots of options back there as well. Yes, Urania.
2: I'm on the clock, Baba, in my DC right now. Oh. I am going to draft Nate Lowe. There you go. At pick 308.
1: I like it. Big Nate Lowe fan. So I'm with you there. Um, our boy Michael Simeone at SP Streamer he asks. We just did our KDS for that um, podcast league. that starts drafting on Friday. How do you have a KDS preference? Let's put it that way. It's a great question. Uh, this is I really struggle with
2: KDS this year because I think it's it's a fundamental question about how you want to build your team. Because I think if you draft on in the um, in the first half, I I really want to get like a Cole DeGrom or Bieber probably, um, although Bieber obviously with, with Cleveland, you know, showing, you know, not having as good of an offense, it's a little less intriguing, but I still think he's incredibly good as a pitcher. You know, I really want to get like a Cole or a DeGrom, but if I do that, I'm not going to like the starting pitchers that are coming around probably um, to go ace, ace, but I do like the pitchers that will likely be available to me in rounds four and five. And so I, I, I it, it's different. So the KDS that I, that I set in the first, you know, we have this um, baseball bat, battle of the pods. It was, I think five was my number, my first choice. Six was my second choice. Um, then it was four. And then I think it was three, two, one. Then it was 14. Then it was 15. And then I think it was like 13, 12, 11, something like that. So essentially I want to, I think when I get closer to drafts, I'll probably just want one of the first two picks, honestly, just so that I can make sure that I get Cole or DeGrom. But if I don't get those guys, then being towards the back end of the draft. So again, you know, probably right now, like it's so hard. It's so hard. There's just so many different ways to go. I'm not set in it in one way, but I do think that it's, very different ways to build your team. I love the hitters that are available on the back half of the draft in rounds three and four, just to give you an example, I drafted 14 and I went, I went Darvish Giolito. And then the hitters that I got were Eloy. And this is actually from eight Eloy and Bregman in rounds three and four after going pocket aces, which I felt really good about you don't get a lot of speed, but I feel like there is some speed guys later on that you can kind of put together. So I just think it, it, it's a really tricky one. I haven't settled on anything, but I think when it comes down to it, when the main events happen in March, I will probably want Garrett Cole or Jacob deGrom. And in that case, I might as well just put pick one or two because I'd rather, you know, the worst thing that could happen to you is be, try to get cute and do like three, four or something like that. And, and then one, what can two. happen in a main event draft is those starting pitchers get go one, two. So it'll, it'll all depend. But I don't think there's a bad place to be necessarily, except for if you're targeting a starting pitcher, being at like 9, nine 10, 11, where I think you're going to miss out on the top three, and then you're going to have to either push up like a, a Giolito or Darvish or Bauer, which you may not want to do or, you know, or take a a guy on offense, which, you know, if you're into offense, that's not a problem at all. But I do like being in the middle of the draft too. So it's all over the place, as you can tell.
1: Yeah, I don't mind where I draft from per se. I'll figure it out from there. But like when I'm setting KDS right now, I kind of want to be at the front or the back. It's kind of my preference. So I pretty much do one through four, and then I go from 15 and go backwards. That's pretty much my preference. I want one of the top picks to get one, hopefully one of the big arms or one of the bats I like a lot. Or just put me in the back and I'll I'll double tap back there and go. So literally I I do one, two, three, four, 15, 14, 13, just go backwards all the way. So that's why when I got picked 12, that was like my ninth preference. Like I, I I never hit one of my top preferences ever. It just never happens. I just laugh. I I think I predicted it basically in our chat. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to get, Like it's not like you, me and one other guy, Three of us, I think, are the only ones that didn't get one of our top three preferences.
2: Yeah. That,
1: that, like, someone said that. So. And That's we'll finish top
2: done. three in, the, in yes. the draft. I mean, exactly. it's
1: when the season's over. so That's yeah, all that matters. Um, our buddy at MS at SMMS79, head-to-head, do you consider Mondesi in pick 20 to 28 range because of his ability to almost give you a category on his own every week? Or give me your top... Or Okay, well, he has multiple questions. So in a head-to-head league where obviously it's it's a new slate every week, do you consider a guy like Mondesi to move up in the draft for you because he can win you a week no problem? Uh, no. I mean, I don't play head-to-head really, so I'm not good to answer this.
2: So I'll make it very short, I promise. I probably would not draft a Mondesi type in head-to-head.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of add on to that. I would say no, and I'm I'm Mondesi fan here. Mondesi can win you one category. There are five categories. And um, if you want to, there's usually there's five hitting and five pitching. Um, if he's winning you one, but hurting you in the other four, it's going to be tough to win those other four to help you win the week. That'd be the best way I could describe it for you. I love Mondesi, but he's more enticing to me in a point setup or a season long where you can struggle with him, but get the total package by the end and you're fine. So that's where I'd go there. Cause what'll happen is you'll get frustrated and you'll bench him the week. he steals six bases. And then you'll really want to break something.
2: So that's just how it's going to go. And my, my um, understanding of head to head theory is kind of like
1: you want consistent players yeah. yep. more than you want than kind like, of your up you, and down guys. You would love it because if you get ace pitching like you like to do, that thrives there. That, that, that that's a big deal. Um, so maybe I should join some head to head. Except the only um, problem with the whole playoff thing where it's like the playoff sucks, playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. And and you don't need to join head to head. You're doing just fine where you are. Um, Give me your top five to 10 inning pitch leaders for 2021. Who um, who will have surprising volume on your mind? <sighs> Do you have a top five inning pitch projection? Or I guess you give them stream steamers or whatever. And- I mean, literally, you probably just go from the top, right? The aces. Derek yeah. Cohen, the
2: Jacob DeGrom, Shane Bieber, Trevor Bauer, Hugh Darvish, G. probably Skip Bueller, Giolito, yeah. Nola, Nola's Castillo
1: like if you want Jersey, a later
2: that seems like a pretty good
1: if if you want like a later guy Kyle Hendricks always continues he, yeah. he he's a guy that he'll get you 180 plus Lance Lynn you know is going or, later which will be he'll be up there or a guy we talked about Sandy Alcantara he's an innings yeah. machine but yeah like you said pretty much the top guys are the top guys because they pitch a lot
2: yeah <laughs> That's the best way i could say it i think you can get volume later on too i mean i think that that profile of like a hendricks is a good example, you know, where it's like, I mean, I think like a guy like Keuchel, you know, can go pretty deep. Um, you know, guys who are more efficient with their pitches and generates a decent
1: amount of contact are generally able to go later. So yeah. and that, that's an important question. Like if he is doing head to head, like he's asking, cause you want to maximize your innings pitch. Cause a lot of those leagues have innings pitch limits. So that's something to keep in mind. You want to make sure you get your best bang for your buck. Uh, he also asked, he was thinking of trying to close out his infield minus catcher, in the first five or so rounds. Is that going too far? Second base and shortstop are just so worrisome late. I wouldn't make a point we talked about this many times. don't make it a point to have to fill out positions by a certain time. There's always kind of goes back to what we talked about. There's always ways to find spots to fill with, and like don't don't go crazy that early in the draft. Yeah,
2: I, I agree. I mean, I don't think you should go into it thinking I want to build my team in this way, but I also think that you want to build from the back forward. So recognizing where the guys you like later on in the draft are. And so if you find yourself, you know, like I often am being very interested in, in the outfielders that are going later on, because there's a variety of them and they fit different needs within a roto context, then getting infield earlier on is is, is certainly nice, but I wouldn't put a ton of pressure to do that. I think it's again try to build the best team that you can build using all of your your roster spots, and don't be as fixated in in a um,
1: you know in a strategy like that. No, I'm with you there. Uh, in our chat, we'll get a quick one here. David Cole Jr. asks, "Do um, you have any quick thoughts on Michael Kopack or Dylan Cease? I know I like them both, but Cease needs to figure out his control." And Copec, I don't know how much they're gonna let him go after the injury. That's my two biggest concerns. Great arms. Um, they added some depth with veteran leaders with Lynn and company. But that's my two cents on them. Do you have any thoughts on Kopech or Cease?
2: Yeah, I'm more interested in Cease. Um, the same article I mentioned before that about Renato Lopez and some of the changes he was doing. So Cease has one of the hot, hot, one of the fastest fastballs in all of all of baseball. I think it's like 97, 97.5 averages but he doesn't have great spin. He cuts the ball. You know, Saris has talked about this before um, on rates and barrels and, and in other places. And so in that article, they talked about how the new, um, I think it's Eric, Eric Katz, I think is his, is his name. Um, the new White Sox pitching coach is working with him on, on improving that spin efficiency and and getting him to cut the ball less, which I think could be, could be huge for him. And so I'm really interested in him, especially that the price isn't too high, um, you know, or the ADP isn't too high um, in the, in the high threes right now. So I definitely think he's interesting. He's got the pedigree. He's got that fastball below. He has the changeup, which we've heard is really good, but hasn't really shown it. He does have really terrible control. So, you know, that's always a a risk, but I think there's opportunities there for him to, to be successful. Kopech, I just I just don't know. I haven't seen enough of him to really have developed a, a really strong opinion. There's obviously an injury history there, which is concerning. I think the White, Hawk, White Sox relief core, too, is really strong. I mean, they have Hendricks now. We talked about – is it Crochet or Crockett?
1: I always call them Crochet. I'm probably saying it wrong, but okay. I've always said Crochet. Okay, so Crochet is good. Uh, Cody uh, Hoyer, Hoyer,
2: H-E-U-E-R um is was also really good towards the end of last year evan marshall was good uh, matt foster was also really good so they have a number of really high quality arms you know they won't have access to saves unless Hendricks gets hurt i think but um, from just a skills perspective i think they're all all really good i actually think aaron bummer is the least skilled of all of them everybody seems to really like him as as a future closer but he never had the k rates and He's just not, not, he wouldn't have been my, my choice, but um,
1: yeah. Yeah. No. And I like the cease call. Uh, he's a guy that's, he's shown life. Just if he could ever lock in consistent command, he'd be scary. Good. Uh, it'd be great to see uh, Kyle McPadden asks thoughts on Christian Walker. Can you repeat 2019? I've said it before on the first place preview and others. He's a guy I love to target late. His overall profile is great. His last year was a much more of a doubles year than a home run year. That's, minor tweakage type stuff. Like if he gets a a minor tweak back to to normal, he is definitely back to 2019, if not better. Like his average was better last year, more doubles. So many things you look at. It's one of those kind of Manny Machado stories. Just elevated a little more, doubles turned into homers, life is good again. I think Walker, especially where he's going in draft, I think he's fine, totally fine. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he's solid. I haven't really targeted him um much in drafts, I, I I have do not have him on any of my teams. But I agree with Bubba in the sense that I think he's solid all around. Should get everyday plate appearances. Makes a lot of contact for a guy who hits the ball pretty hard. Does need to elevate a little bit more, maybe to get maximized that pop. But so everything that Bubba mentioned, I think he adds a little bit of speed up for a bit, first base too, which is always nice. So uh,
1: he also asked uh, two hitters and two pitchers starting the season in the minors that will make their debut in twenty twenty one that you believe strongly going forward. I'm not a major prospect guy. I can throw you some darts, but uh, this might not be the best show to come to for that. Yeah. Like Brent Honeywell, but now he had surgery again. Forrest Whitley for the Astros. Good chance he gets gets a shot. So he'd be a guy I'd look at. Um, But other than that, it's... I'd say look at bad teams that might rotate through players. That'd be my best my best uh, option there. Uh, when it comes to Tampa Bay, do uh, they start the year with with um, calling up their shortstop or not? I just totally blanked on the name. I wonder Franco. Wander Franco. Yeah, because yeah, obviously he's going to play eventually. So that's another guy. Does he start the year with them or not? It's time will tell on stuff like that.
2: Yeah. So one guy um, who who I've been drafting towards the very end is Shurton Apostle um, who's the Rangers. He's a first base prospect has hit at every level, really good plate discipline as well. Just kind of a masher. I think he got his debut. He played a few games at the end of last year. He's one guy hitter that I'd add to that who could be interesting just because I do think he has, he's hit at every stop. He's just a hitter. He's the, you know, he's going to be the first baseman. He started out, I think, as a third baseman. He could be a DH, but um, he was actually on one of my dynasty teams like three years ago, and I traded him. Um, so he's one guy that I would, I would add to that list. But yeah, I, I'm just not, I, I don't know enough about the minor leagues right now, you know, like we just missed a year. And so it's just really hard to know who's on the cusp and who's not. But I do think Honeywell's is a good shot. Um, you know, he did have that surgery, but I think it was minor from everything I've seen. There's obviously injuries there, but where he's going in drafts, he's, he's very, very late. And he's got that pedigree, and, and we know that the Rays have some openings in that rotation. So
1: Yeah, there's him. There's um, also Josh Jung mentioned him at Texas. He's going to get a spot eventually. He's got a very good bat. Um, Andrew Vaughn was mentioned by David Cole. I think he starts the year with the team, but if not, he's a guy to definitely target as well to come up. Um, there, there's a ton of them. I could I could literally go to uh, one of Fantrax's Eric Cross um, or Clegg's pages. I can go to the Welsh's uh, rankings or James Anderson's rankings. There's a ton of great prospect guys out there. I didn't even mention half of them probably. And um, the top ten to twenty all probably have a good shot of playing sometime this season. So, and a lot of them have free content. So I, I'm not trying to take the easy way out. I'm just saying I'd recommend going to them and checking that out um the next question as we're getting towards the end here hjs 561 if punting saves this year um how are your guys who are your guys favorite target slate also taking so we already kind of hit on the relief pitcher stuff earlier on so we'll kind of cross that one off um if you're taking three starting pitchers in the first three rounds in what round would you start considering your fourth pitcher that's a great question for you because you're a pocket yeah. aces guy and usually you wait till like the seventh or eighth round in the past what are you doing? Say you take three in the first three. When do you think about taking a pitcher again?
2: If I drafted, I've never drafted three pitchers in a row to start a draft. If I were to do that, I would probably wait until pick 200
1: ish to draft my SP four. Yeah. Cause if you got three aces, you're pretty much locked in. Like you're usually rotating the back end of your staff throughout the year anyways. So I'm not saying you've you never know. Maybe going going earlier is great because you have four guys you don't have to worry about. I'd rather get those for sure bats at that point. I guess kind of where you're going as well, and you're kind of you're not in a hole, but after waiting 45 plus picks for your first bat, you're in a bit of a hole. Like you're not in a, but you you've missed out on some really good talent. Not that you can't make it up, but you got to really start crushing some hitters to to catch up to things. So, I think you're right. It, it, it's a good uh. Good guesstimate about pick two hundred in that regard. Uh, Bill Petra Petragack asks: With potential six-man rotations, innings limits, and COVID postponements, is this year to fade pitching and attack hitting? Never. I think it's more important to get the good pitchers personally.
2: Yeah, I mean it, the thing is, it's always it's always all relative, you know. Yeah. So it's like saves are harder to saves are harder to get. So yes, theoretically you don't need as many saves to get to finish high, but at the same time, it's harder to get saves. And so it's, it's harder to achieve that. Um, Yeah. I agree with Bubba. I think more so than any time before getting that, I mean, that's part of the reason why I go with the pocket aces or at least, you know, getting a lot of high end starting pitching early on this year is that those are those are the true differentiators. Those are the guys that you won't get guys later on in drafts that are able to replicate that yeah. often, right? There might be one guy every season who makes that jump, but it's really hard from both a volume perspective and just both the volume and, and the quality that you're getting. I mean, that's what makes them aces. And so um, I don't think it's the, the, the time to fade pitching. And that said, I mean, I think there's many ways to – win. And it may not be the way that I'm most comfortable building a team, but certainly there are, there are going to be some of those guys in the mid tier, maybe some of those guys that have fallen because of a poor 2020 that, that, that outproduced what we were expecting. And, and that can always happen. And you can, you can, you know, for lack of a better luck into that, right. Because I don't think that's something that's not a, I think that's a skill that many people have is consistently being able to identify later pitches that hit frequently. And if you do, I would love for you to reach out and kind of share your secret um, secret with me uh, if you do that on a consistent basis because I'd love to hear it.
1: Yeah, and that's why I, I've really bought into your kind of pocket aces deal. I don't go hardcore on the two, what I've mentioned. Like, I want the full house. Give me three in the first five. Like, guys I can trust in, to, to start for the fact I want that stability. In years past when I wasn't a big starting pitcher early guy, and I know a lot of people weren't, it's because more pitchers went – Deep into games. More pitchers are giving you this, that, and the other, which we don't get anymore. And I know on the recent Rates and Barrels, I think it was Rates and Barrels. one of the um, It was either that or the recent Deadpool podcast with uh, Alex Fast. They were discussing, you know, as pitchers start pitching fewer and fewer innings, is, you know, the new, is like the old 200 now 180, is 180, 160. Like, are we going to start settling for the lower amounts to make a difference type deal? And that kind of makes an interesting discussion on when you're drafting and why you draft those guys that are going to give you 180 to 200 innings over those other guys right there. It makes a big difference like you were talking about. All right. Um, Paul D from Long Island. It's like a radio call. Um, longtime listener, NFBC player, big fan of the show question for the mailbag. Given the growing trend of teams using multiple relievers to close, how many, how many relievers will you roster in DCs? Um, do the ADPs of known commodity? Okay. okay we'll start with that. How many would you roster in a DC with all those uh, questions up in the air? Relievers.
2: Yeah. I don't know if there's a particular number that I hit. If there's more like a group of guys, a group of players that I'm, I'm after. So I would say I generally, so I generally want two guys that are, that I think are definitely going to be the closers. So just looking at the draft that I have right now, I drafted Jordan Hicks and Hector Narris. again you know, maybe it's 75% chance that they're closers to start the season or maybe even 50, but, and then I want to maybe back that up a little bit. So maybe I'll get, go after Connor Bogdan later on, because I think that he pitched really well last year and the Phillies don't have a lot of stuff. And I know that some people think Jose Alvarado is going to close, but I, I just don't see that happening just because of the inconsistency and also because he's a lefty and you know, all, all of those reasons, I'm not sure how many lefties they have in that, in that bullpen. So um so that's like maybe an example. And then I'll get maybe Chris Martin, you know, if, if he's available or uh, Jake Diekman, um, something like that. Like a guy who seems like he maybe has it. So maybe I have three of those guys to begin with. And then I want to get as many high skilled relievers that I think may be in a position to get that. So, you know, I mentioned a bunch of them before, like Pierce Johnson, Phil Maton, um, uh, Connor Bogdan, and, uh maybe a few more so i guess maybe like eight i generally want to have like 24 pitchers i think 24 25 pitchers and i'd say probably eight of those are relief pitchers maybe i don't know eight to ten um but it really just depends on which one of them i'm able to
1: to grab to get Um, yeah i guess the more i guess the more important part is have the guys you like don't force your hand to get x amount Of closers. I think that's a good point there. Um, Do the ADPs of known commodity closers like Hendrix and Hayter already reflect their premium value as locks for 20 plus saves? Um, Thanks, keep up the good work. So I would say yes. The guys that are going higher are more locked into roles and they actually have a better skill set, better talent level. Um, I think once, like a lot of these guys later, you mentioned, if we start finding out they're the go-to guys, they're going to go up in the draft also. So yeah. that's why we didn't even do a – that's what we talked about. We're doing a mailbag this week. And so the relief pitcher preview, because there's so many guys. Literally, we started out the podcast, first question, how many teams have locked in closers? It was like four or five, it felt like. It's tough to do a podcast to tell you what closers that are good to draft. We don't even know who's actually the closer yet. <laughs> so that that's where it's tricky. Yeah,
2: for sure. And I think with the, with the cost, it's going to be very interesting to see how the market values closers, because I think heading into 2020, we had the exact same conversation. Like we were in DCs around this time and closers were going really late. And then the closer you get to the season, they start to trickle up, you know, they start to move up as we get more information and maybe the jobs seem to crystallize a little bit more in certain positions and then it's like you have the top end of that closing, those closers, and they get pushed up because there's the people feel like there's certainty. And so then you'd assume that maybe the other guys don't push up. But what ends up happening is people start to not necessarily panic. I'm not, I don't mean this in like a pejorative way, like you're doing something wrong, you panic. But what happens is those guys are gone, and people start looking at their team and they say, Where are my saves coming from? And then you start to look at the next bunch and you're like, you start to order them and you start to say, well, I think this guy is 85% and this guy is 75%. This guy is 65%. Not that exactly, but I think that's the psychologically what happens to you. And then, and then that ends up moving those guys up because then that 85% guy becomes the next closer that goes. And then the next guy becomes the 75%. And the further back in the draft, you get the least confident, the less confident you are that that guy's going to be your closer and you still feel like you need to get a closer And so what ends up happening is when we're making our drafts in March, our big drafts in March, they're always pushed up. And it's going to be fascinating because I think starting pitching is already pushed up to such a high extent. It's going to be so interesting to see how with relief pitching not being pushed up so far, what's going to happen when that gets pushed up and just how everything kind of settles in 2021 as we get more information, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see. Um, And and I think that, um, yeah. And I think you're going to see it with Hendricks. I think Hendricks is start, going to start to be that fourth round in a 15-team league closer that starts to go, right? Instead of going around pick 68 or whatever it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, he's going to be top 60, you know, or top, top, yeah, 60.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now they're going to start moving. And the other thing is there's a ton of guys that are going to close aren't even signed yet. It's not even like it's just good relievers. There's just closers that aren't signed yet. So – it, like, literally, we thought maybe Bummer was going to get a shot or they were going to resign sign Colomay. He wouldn't sign Hendricks. So it's just you, you don't know what's going on right now. Um, so time will tell. Like you said, come March, a lot clearer stuff, hopefully. All right. Time will tell. Great song by Bob Marley. I would highly recommend people go and listen to that. Great song. Well, and after you listen to that, our last question of the night. From Dave Mendelson: Pancakes, Waffles. Or French toast so, as this is an easy question it's pancakes
2: by a landslide Why? It's not even close generally speaking I would say ricotta pancakes ricotta pancakes are so really you going good, fancy
1: you're not going like regular. nice
2: and fluffy I mean regular is fine regular is fine regular is great but ricotta pancakes are absolutely delicious I mean pancakes are so multi-dimensional you, you slide, you lather them with butter. You throw like a bunch of maple syrup on them. You get like whatever type of like fruit you throw on there. You can put like bananas in them. I actually have a really good pancake recipe. It's a three, it's a three ingredient pancake recipe. It's like a healthy pancake recipe. Um, cause I'm one of those people. It's, um, it's just oatmeal. Well, it's not really technically three ingredients, but it's oatmeal, bananas, um and um what am i why am i forgetting this oatmeal bananas and eggs it it, the basic is two eggs one cup of oatmeal two bananas and then there's also baking powder cinnamon vanilla and salt but you just mix that up and it's really good it's absolutely delicious and it's healthy Justin, it is a pancake. It is a pancake and it's delicious. I don't want to hear it.
1: It sounds more like a fancy dessert pancake, like a (laughs) crepe. That's why, when I think pancake, I think like you get the regular, just basic buttermilk pancake with a thing of butter and um, syrup. Like, if you want to get fancy, then let's talk French toast. Like, that's where the fancy is. You get some powdered sugar on there, get all the Fruits you want, you get the different syrups like chocolate and you know caramel or maple syrup. You got all kinds of goodies there. Literally, you go to the Sunday shop. The guy that likes desserts as much as you do. French toast is right in your wheelhouse.
2: I mean, let's let's be <laughs> honest. Let's be honest about French toast for a second. We don't like French toast. We like the toppings that we put on top of French.
1: Well, toast. what's the difference than, than
2: the like, Oh. The painting, Cinnamon, vanilla, the texture, <laughs> the, the taste. You can get fluffy French toast. What you put inside of it, you know. I mean, French toast. I mean, I like a good stuffed French toast. You know, like anybody else. There was this when I lived in Seattle. there's a place called Portage Bay, and they make um, they make lemon curd French toast. So it's like a lemon, like drizzle with blueberries and whipped cream and all that jazz and, and and maple syrup and butter and the whole thing. And that's absolutely delicious. But I think when we break it down to the essentials, I mean, I think pancakes win the day. I mean, when you put the right amount of butter and maple syrup on a pancake, the texture is phenomenal. I mean, the way that like you just when you cut into it, It's like
1: you can already taste the deliciousness before you even
2: put it in your mouth.
1: It sounds like you have to have the right butter or syrup. If you give me a regular pancake and a regular French toast, I'll take the regular French toast all day long. Without putting anything on top of it. Like if we're just comparing apples to apples. Here's some bread cooked in eggs. Mm. Fluffy.
2: I can't believe that we're not even talking about waffles. I mean, one of the things. that
1: Waffles is the lazy way to save syrup. I mean waffles. Like you there's to something to be every, said you have about it. Up every square, right? Like with yes, yes, totally. You, to. you do the you do the <laughs> lines, like to to of course, of course.
2: <laughs> but the, but there is something to be said for their ability to capture you know ingredients in inside the the waffle square parts. You know that can make it that can make it really good. Um, I used to yeah, when I lived in Boston, I I used to go to this. Um, well, you know, this this is when you start to make fun of me more, but there was this, uh, this place that made vegan waffles. I don't make fun
1: of you. <laughs>
2: there was this place that that had vegan waffles. Um, it was called, oh my God. It used to be, it was actually, it used to be a, a music joint as well. Um, oh, it's in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It's in Harvard Square. And I, I'm totally blanking on the name. But it was absolute, absolutely fantastic. Absolutely <laughs> delicious. Every week, Justin wanna know me. something I understand. Justin Mason is in the comments making fun of vegan waffles. Mm-hmm. And all I gotta say is, Justin.
1: That's,
2: that's
1: all I got to say. <laughs> right. Well, I was going to ask more stuff, but I think we're going to have some bad rabbit holes in a minute. So I might save them for a future podcast because I think we discussed last week. We can talk desserts or whatever food all day long. So that's not an issue. That's why this could, this could take a turn into something else. So I'm going to wrap it up there. Okay. I think we've we hit we fit over 20 questions. Justin Mason's going to go full troll mode in a minute if we stay in here any longer. <laughs> so uh, we got to watch out. It's below the Mendoza. Oh my God. Yeah. We got to stop. We got to stop. Um, I, I must say
2: Justin, Justin is a Justin and. Family are incredible
1: dessert makers. That's why effort. I was going to go into the pizzukis, but I think I want to save that till next. No, week. no you got to share the pizzukis. You can't but just mention them and just not. No, it's called a cliffhanger and a tease, Toby. We talk about them next week on the show. Okay, that's what. It's they're going to be in the chat next That's week. up to him. That's on him. That okay. we know his wife will let him go because he always tell her he's doing something else. So <laughs> yeah. he'll, he'll join the show there. But uh, that keeps people coming back because if we talk about bazookies now, we won't get off the show until midnight. Okay. So um, we're gonna, nice. we're going to call it there. Um next week we'll see what we're gonna do. But um homemade <laughs> waffles are yeah, there we go. But uh check out Toby on Twitter at Flip Crazy Podcast at Flip Crazy. I am on Twitter at Bedientric. Uh you can check out the Bench and Bubba podcast, of course. Um we both have our YouTube channel, so go like all that good stuff, subscribe there. And uh otherwise, we'll be back with you guys next week with more fantasy baseball analysis, some dessert talk. Who knows? You bring the questions, we'll talk about it. Toby's a big music guy. I like TV and movies. Toby likes TV too. Like we open book people, open book, multi-dimensional.
2: If, so, you, if you think about us as fantasy baseball podcasts, we are like your
1: multi-position eligible players. There you go. We cover the entire right. infield. We are the Kiki Hernandezes of the league. Like, yes, yeah, we are. Just, I mean, just,
2: he's only got he's only got dual position eligibility. He's second base and outfield too. I mean, true. So let's uh, go with,
1: like, a Tommy Edmond. Tommy Edmond, you know, Pat We're late rounders. We're Pat Vallecas, We're late rounders. We're Pat We're the late rounders. For sure. For but, sure. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about all that. We'll have all the goodies there. But uh, check us out next week. And uh, good luck. Keep the questions coming, and we'll have more fun like this. But uh, good luck. Toby on Twitter again, Batflip Crazy. I'm Matt BD and Trick. Bubba and Batflip 66 in the books. Catch you guys later.